There's a little bit of a, a mish, mishmash there, mix-up. Gideon's hard, though. It's such a big story, so I'm still, still working on Gideon, and some of you have suggested, would you do Gideon? So like I say, welcome. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to you who are joining us online. Let us know that you're out there. Say hello. Uh, wave to, to whoever's online there. Like us, share if you're watching on YouTube later. So this morning, we're going to ser- continue this series, Bible Peeps, and uh, we're, we're going to be looking at Abraham. Now, what's the deal with Abraham? He's a big name, isn't he? I mean, massive in the Bible. Everybody's heard of, of Abraham, uh, and his story is a pretty incredible story. It covers 15 chapters of Genesis. There, there are not many people in the Bible that have that much airtime, but 15 chapters. What I found was interesting, I did a, a word search through the Bible of the word Abraham, the name Abraham, comes up how many times? Over 300 times. There are as many references to Abraham after he lived as there are when he lived. And that spoke to me. That spoke to me of, of legacy. He had a legacy, an incredible legacy. They're talking about him in the New Testament. And, you know, people name their children Abraham, right? There's Abe Lincoln, one of the most famous here in this country. The thing that defined Abraham is that he was a man of faith. But his faith journey was was far from perfect. There are highs and lows like there are in your faith journey, my faith journey. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from Abraham about what it means to live in faith. Now, before you go, oh, no, not another sermon on faith. It's always faith. It's either faith or it's serving. It's one of those two. And I did, did one on faith not very long ago in this series. Let me give you two good reasons why we want to talk about faith. The Bible talks about faith constantly. It, it's, it's a big deal. For the Christian, though, faith isn't just important. It's not a good idea. It is absolutely vital. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the Bible says that those who live in faith, God rewards when you diligently seek Him in faith. And the second reason, our faith is one of our greatest witnesses to the world. When we respond to the trials in life with faith, when we're different from other people, that stands out. That's a witness. It's a wonderful witness to our trust in the Lord. When, you know, everything's going wrong and it's getting tough, isn't it, these days? Faith is going to be very, very important as we move forward. It's been a difficult couple of years and I don't think it's going to let up anytime soon. And we need to be different. We need to be people of faith. We need to be rock solid in the Lord. You know, Jesus said time and time again, your faith has healed you. It's important. Now, you might say, you know what, Pastor Mike? I got faith. I don't need to listen to this. I have faith. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe Jesus lived perfect life, died on the cross for us. You can go down the list. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. All good stuff. It's good to believe. I believe those things. I've got faith. But that's what we would call an intellectual assent to a truth. We're agreeing with a truth on an intellectual level. I believe these things to be true. 
So you can transpose the word faith and belief in, in that. Now, that's good, but you've got to think about this. The demons believe all those things as well. Satan believes all those things as well. So faith, the way that God talks about faith, that Jesus talks about faith, is more than just simply an intellectual ascent. That's a beginning point. The kind of faith that we're going to talk about today is a working faith. It's an active faith. It's a demonstrated faith. It's where our actions match our beliefs. If your actions don't match your belief, you have a head faith and it hasn't got to your heart. You can talk it up, but you're not living it up. And what do they call someone who talks it up but doesn't live it? A hypocrite. What's the big complaint you hear about people outside? Church, just a place of hypocrites. Even people that call themselves Christians that I often talk to, and I'm not saying they're not, but aren't part of the church, invariably when I ask them, why aren't you part of a church? They're just a bunch of hypocrites. That's what happens when your beliefs in your head are not in your heart. Now, when your beliefs go from your head to your heart and you begin to live in faith, that's integrity. We want to be people of integrity because integrity is attractive. But here's the thing. And I'm not going to... I'm just going to be real upfront with you with this stuff. Faith is not easy. Faith is kind of tricky, right? Even Abraham struggled with faith, and, and he's a big man of faith. David struggled with faith. So this morning, we're going to see what we can learn from somebody who struggled just as we do so that we can live victorious lives. Sound like a good deal? Let's pray, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time that we can gather together in this place. Seek your name, seek your word, seek your truth for our lives. Father, I pray for each one of us that you would take away the distractions, take away um, the tendency for our minds to drift. Let us focus in on you and hear you and seek to be changed by you, Father, that we might live faithful, victorious lives in Jesus Christ. Father, empty me of me, fill me with you. Let my words not be my words, but your words. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible about Abraham, 15 chapters. We're not going to cover 15 chapters. He lived in four different countries. Uh, a lot of stuff goes on. I want to focus on one particular aspect of Abraham's life. That's his covenant with the Lord, that he would be the father of a great nation. The Lord promised him, he said, you're going to be the father of a great nation, and I'm going to set aside a land for you, we call it the promised land, for your descendants, your people. So a little bit of background, Abraham means exalted father. Exalted father. Abraham, which his name gets changed to later by God, means father of a great number. So he goes from, whoo, dad, to dad, big number. Abraham's the 10th generation after Noah, so maybe about 350 years after the flood. His father's name is Terah, and they lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, which was in Mesopotamia. It's about 200 miles southeast of current-day Baghdad, close to the Persian Gulf. Now, this was a prosperous, rich, advanced civilization the most advanced civilization in the area, the most prosperous. It was the biggest deal. 
it's kind of blurry between Noah and between Abraham. You know, Noah's a man of God, and then his kids spread out across the world, but they didn't take Noah's faith with them. We, we don't know what went on, but they didn't take his faith with them. So that's why we have these civilizations 350 years later that are pagan civilizations. They don't know God. And, and, and the Bible tells us that Terah, Abraham's father, worshipped pagan gods. So that's the family that Abraham is in. He's a long way from current day Israel in a land where they worship pagan gods and his family worships pagan gods. So let's go to Genesis chapter 11. And I'm going to jump through those 15 chapters, okay? It says, this is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, while his father Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Iscah were daughters of Nahor's brother Haran. There was a lot of this intermarriage stuff in, in those days. It was kind of like, we want to keep our name, our names. It's a little different than it is now. But Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. Key part of the story. One day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, and his son, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years, and he died while still in Haran. So if we get that map up there, I think it's the next slide. So you can see where... Uh, I've got a laser on here. I've just got to figure it out. There it is. Oh, it doesn't work on the TV. So you can see Ur of the Chaldeans over on the right side there. That's where they begin. They can't cross straight across because that is desert. You, you would die out there. So they go all the way up to Haran and then down to where Jerusalem's not there at that time, but Canaan is, is where they're going to eventually settle. But Terah leaves Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans. He's heading for Canaan. He gets up to Haran, spends time in Haran, never leaves Haran. Next chapter. This is the beginning of Abram's story. It says, the Lord had said. Now, this is very important. Had said. Previous conversation, okay? The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. So God has said this to Abram. The reason that Terah left Ur of the Chaldeans was because God had spoken to Abraham or Abram. Abram says to dad, I'm going to Canaan. And dad says, well, I'll come with you. I will make you to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, that's quite the promise, isn't it? I mean, talk about a legacy. God comes to you and says, every family on earth is going to be blessed because of you. 
It's like, yeah, baby. I'm really important. I'm some good deal here. Thank you, God. So like I say, we find out from a subsequent scripture that this revelation actually happened back in Mesopotamia. It's not in Haran. So this is the beginning of Abraham's faith journey. He's living in a pagan land. His father, Terah, worships pagan gods. We don't know if Abram's even aware of the existence of the Lord. Nobody's teaching him this stuff. But the Lord appears to him. We don't know how. In Mesopotamia, tells him, go to Canaan. Leave your native land, your relatives, travel about 1,500 miles and settle in a land that you don't know with a group of people that don't speak your language. What a mammoth journey. Can we go to the next one? Next slide, please. So that is about 1,500 miles. Like I say, they're not going to go right across. They're going to go up to Haran and then down. Now, I did a little bit of research. I like doing research. Now, remember, when they go... They're not in a car. They're walking or they're on a donkey. At best, they're on a donkey. 1,500 miles. Now, just think about that. That's like we set out from here this morning and we head down to the Mexican border. That's a long way, isn't it? And then we walk all the way through Mexico to the south border of Mexico. And we walk into Guatemala. When we get to Guatemala City, that's about the same distance. That's a pretty big journey, you know? Get the donkeys. God has spoken to me. Huh? We're heading to somewhere called Canaan. Huh? I'm heading out. Well, hang on. We'll come with you. It's, it's, uh, that's faith in action, isn't it? So this God that, that Abram's never heard of comes to him and makes a great promise. I can see why Abram's all in for this. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be the father of many nations. All the families on earth are going to be blessed by you. Head on over to Cana. Amen. I'm in. I'm in. Or if you went north, if we left here, we could walk all the way to Airdrie in Canada where we used to live. That's about 1,500 miles into the freezing cold. And Abraham says yes, and off he goes. So he is taking God at his word. Don't know how this is going to happen. He already knows that his wife can't have children. Don't know how this is going to happen, but off we go. Now, here's the first reason that faith is important. Our faith journey impacts other people. Our faith journey impacts other people. It's either going to impact them in a positive way, a good way, or it's going to impact them in a negative way. But our faith journey, we don't live in a bubble. It impacts other people. My faith journey impacts my wife, impacts my kids, impacts their kids, impacts you. We don't live in a bubble. So it's either going to be a positive impact or it's going to be a negative impact. But there will be an impact. For these people, it's like, we're going, where? I'm going. Do what you want. Well, okay, we'll, we'll come. Carrying on, it says, So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, 
and all his wealth. He was quite a wealthy man. His livestock and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived at Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. So looking at the pertinent facts, the Lord promises Abram he's going to have many descendants. He's going to make him a great nation. The Lord has a land for him and his descendants. We call it the promised land. His wife cannot have children. And Abram is 75 years old at this time when he left Haran and goes off to the Canaan. To Canaan. Now, all kinds of things happen to him that we're not going to cover. He ends up going down to Egypt. He gets into battles. There's all kinds of stuff. But time's going on. You're going to be father of a great nation. 75, 76, 77, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, 83, nothing. Okay, God, I left. I did what you told me to do. I'm in Canaan, and how am I going to be a blessing to all of the... 83... 84, 85, he gets frustrated. What's going on? He's got faith in God. I mean, he left his homeland. He took the journey. He, he started the journey. But this thing about being a great nation and, and descendant, it, it's not happening. And so what's going on, God? So we get to Genesis 15. It says sometime later, I can tell you right now, sometime later, Abram's 85 or 86. So 10 or 11 years or more from when he had the promise. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children... Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. It's not even going to go to anybody of my bloodline. Seriously? That's what I would say. <laughs> You've given me no descendants of my own, so, no, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no. It's like, we've had this conversation. No, your servant will not be your heir, for you have been... You will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. So the Lord reminds him of his promise. Like, I haven't forgotten you, Abram. You, it, it, this didn't slip through my fingers. Look, look at all these stars. You're going to have more than that. But you can see Abram's frustration in this passage of Scripture. Like, when? You promised me, God, what's going on? Now, I want to get into the humanity of this. Faith is difficult. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, oh, faith, that's easy. Faith is difficult. Faith causes us to trust in that which we have little or no control over, which is scary. It causes us to believe in things that don't make earthly sense. 
You, you talk to an atheist about what you believe sometimes, and they look at you like, really? Talking snake, eh? It demands that we do things that typically go against human understanding. It demands that we do things that may seem outlandish, speculative, or downright silly to people on the outside, to people that don't have faith. Faith often goes against common sense and the facts. Now, here's the thing. Faith challenges us to examine what we believe to be true about God. We think about faith from an inside perspective, but faith challenges us to examine what we believe about God. It's a flip-flop. Our faithful obedience comes down to whether or not in our heart of hearts, not just in our head, we really believe that God is faithful, that God is trustworthy, that God will come through. If you truly believe that, that God is faithful and will come through on his promises, as were, you'll have no problem acting on it. If there's a question mark in that, you will have a problem acting on it. It's like, I believe it in my head. I believe God can. I'm not sure God will. Right? Isn't that where we get to with our faith so often? I believe God can. I'm not sure God will. Ooh. Anytime God invites you to take a step of faith, it is going to bring you to a crisis of belief. It will make you question what you believe to be true about God. This is a God question. This is why faith is so important to God. This is why you cannot please God without having faith. Because when you don't have faith, you're not questioning you, you're questioning God. I don't believe you're coming through on this one, God, so I'm going to take care of it for myself. Why would God allow this to happen? Why doesn't God do so-and-so? Why would God ask me to give up such and such? Why does he want me to wait? Come on, God. Faith is difficult. If it weren't so difficult, there wouldn't be so much about it in the Bible. That's why we talk about it all the time. And yet your faith walks, walk can be one of the greatest evidences of the reality of God to those that don't have God. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. You see, when we talk about hope from an earthly perspective, it, it's kind of out of our control, right? Hope it's not cancer. Hope they can do something about it. There's nothing I can do. I hope, I hope, I hope. But when it comes to a spiritual perspective, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. I'm trusting in God for this. I'm not trusting in me for this. Therefore, I am going to act as if this is already a done deal. It's the evidence of things we can't see. Now, let me give you a silly example. It's a really silly example. God says to you, get your house painted on Tuesday. You look at the weather forecast, storms on Tuesday. You call the contractor. I want to get my house painted on Tuesday. 
It's going to be $15,000 to paint your house on Tuesday. Contractor says to you, no, nah, Tuesday's not a good day. It's going to pour with rain or storms. It's going to, I could do it, but it'll get wrecked. And you say, God said paint the house on Tuesday. So come on over and paint the house on Tuesday. Contractor thinks, this guy is crazy. You pay me first. You give him the money, he comes over on Tuesday, paints your house, all around it's pouring with rain, not on your house. He thinks, that is kind of weird. This guy tells me that God said to do this thing. What does your faith say to him then? That's a stupid example, but you see where I'm coming from, right? To believe and trust in God means that we believe in things that don't make sense to other people. So really, you're going you, you, you're gonna to trust in that? That's kind of stupid, isn't it? Yeah, but God said it. I believe it. I'm doing it. Now, if one of the reasons that faith is difficult is because facts and faith are very often in conflict with one another. And acting in faith often calls for us to disregard the facts. How hard is it to make a decision to do something when all the facts say, nope, ain't going to work, can't happen, shouldn't do? Yeah, but God said, oh, here we go again. God said. Tithing. I remember when, when God prompted me to be faithful with my finances. For years, we hadn't tithed, and, and we felt God really convict our hearts. You need to tithe. My wife does the money. It's so easy for me to go to the gatekeeper and say, hey, give 10% to God. But the good thing is, God convicted me, and he convicted her at the same time. So when we sat down to have this conversation, it was so neat. It was on a Sunday morning. It's just like, I think God's telling us to do this. Said, I think he is too. Oh, thank you, God. <laughs> but sometimes when, when, when the Lord has spoken to you, but hasn't spoken to the people that are close to you, there's a conflict. Now, you think about this situation with Abram and Sarah. Abram's getting frustrated with the Lord. But can you imagine what it's like for Sarah? God shows up, and he keeps speaking to Abram. He doesn't say anything to Sarai. How does she deal with this situation? And it's, most, it's probable that Abram was in his late 60s or 70s when God first spoke to him. We don't know. He was 75 when he was up in Haran, but he spoke to him back in Mesopotamia. Already knew that Sarah couldn't have children. So he comes in, and he says, hey, guess what? This Lord... Don't know much about him. He spoke to me, said, I'm going to be the father of great nations. We're going to go live in this place called Canaan. I'm heading out there. You better come with me. And she's thinking, say what? That's going to require a miracle, Abram. But Abram's like, but if God said it, I believe it. So she gets her hopes up. Now, back in these days, Children were considered a blessing from the Lord, and the lack of children were considered a curse from the Lord, and it's her fault, not his. 
I like these people. No. And and what it was, you've done something wrong. Something's happened in your life, and the Lord has closed up your womb. So she gets her hopes up. Abram comes to her and says, no, it's okay. We're going to have children. They move up to Haran, no children. They go to Canaan, no children. They go down to Egypt, no children. They come back to Canaan, no children. Now, 75, 76, 77, 78, 79, mid-80s, no children. So what's Sarah doing? Abram, are you sure you heard God right? Like, did you, are you sure you heard him right? You know, maybe you didn't hear him right. Had you been drinking? Got into the wine a little bit too much, Abram? What, you know, what was going on? Maybe you dreamt it. I have an idea. I've got a young maidservant. Go sleep with her. Perhaps I can have children through her. Now, in those days, your servants were considered your property. They had no rights. Their children were your children. So Sarai could kind of say, that's my child, even though it was her servant. Now think about Abram. It's been a long time. He believed the Lord. But after all these years, he's beginning to wonder, did I misunderstand? Did I not get this right? This has been how many years now? Coming up for 20 years ago. Still no children. Sarah is nagging him. No, what's going on, Abram? When am I going to have a son, Abram? What's going on? Time's ticking on. I'm way past childbirth age. And she comes up with a solution. I got a young servant girl. Now, what's Abram thinking? This is a win-win situation right here. (laughs) I'll do it for you, dear. I don't want to, but I'm going to do it for you because that's just the kind of guy I am. It's a great out for him. He gets his nagging wife off of his back. He gets to see God's promise fulfilled and all the other bonuses. We do that sometimes, don't we? We believe on God for something. And then when God doesn't do it in the manner that we think that he ought to do it, or in the time frame that we think he ought to do it, we start to help him out. We start to find ways that will help God out. And usually we find ways that will help God out that are kind of good for us. It's buying lottery tickets, God. I know you're going to bless me. I'm putting all my savings into lottery tickets. I know you're going to bless me, God. So we want to help him out. And then we attribute our behavior to him. I'm acting in faith. I'm doing this for God. And that's exactly what Abram and Sarah do. He sleeps with a servant girl. She has a boy. They call him Ishmael. And at age 86, Abram has his inheritance. Problem solved. Thank you, God. We're good. But God's not done. All the way over to chapter 17. It says when Abram was 99 years old, 
Can you imagine, 99 years old, he's probably got a stick. The Lord appears. Oh, oh my God. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. So as the Lord appears to him, he says, do you remember me? I'm the one who can do anything. I am El Shaddai. Nothing is impossible for me. That's how he's introducing himself. Remember me? Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. There you go, Abraham. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Sorry, I'm just checking football scores. No, I'm not. <laughs> there are no football games today. Otherwise, I would be. At this, Abraham fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. He's upped it. All kinds of nations, Abram. What's more, I'm changing your name. I will no, you will no longer be, it will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, father of many you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be amongst them. And God goes on to tell them that this is an everlasting covenant between me and you, Abraham, and your people. And I will give you this land in Canaan. And then God says something really, really weird. We read this stuff sometimes, and we don't think about it. Verse 9. Then God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. Ooh, terms. It's a contract. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut the flesh off your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Then God goes on to tell him that this is for every male in your household. Oh, this is today, Abraham. And all of your descendants. And this is forever. Now, why would God make such a strange requirement? Think about it. You know, we take things for granted, but why would God make such a strange requirement? I believe that sometimes the Lord asks us to do things, weird things, simply as a method of building our faith and our trust. It's a way of demonstrating. It doesn't have to make sense, God. If you said to do it, I will do it. It's training yourself to be obedient to God, even when it makes no sense at all. Don't eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. Okay, why not? Got all the other trees, just don't eat the fruit off of that one. Hey, Noah, build a boat. It had never rained. Never rained when God told Noah to build a boat. Build a boat? Why? Up on the land here. Okay. It is a demonstration. It, it doesn't have to make sense. It, it's between you and the Lord. 
I'm going to do this in obedience to you, Lord. And everybody else is going, say what? And then the Lord goes on to tell him, your wife's name is going to change. It's going to change from Sarai to Sarah. Sarai means princess. And she was a little bit of a princess. After he has the baby with the servant girl, which was her idea, she starts nagging on him. And he's like, I just did what you wanted. Sarah means noble woman or woman of honor. Her disgrace, her closed womb is being put aside. But Abraham still got doubts. In verse 17, it says, And Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How can I become a father at age 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby? She's 10 years younger than him, 90. When she is 90 years old. So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. God, we already had this taken care of, remember? Servant girl, got a baby, you don't need, got it. Just bless Ishmael, we're good to go. But God replied, no. I can hear God like, idiot. No. Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac. And I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. So God makes it clear. I'm not interested in your solution, Abraham. Sarah is going to have a son. It's the first time that God actually tells Abraham that it's Sarah. So there's, you know, there's a little bit of room for the confusion. But it's not going to happen till next year. However, all that stuff by, about circumcision, yeah, that's today. Now, can you imagine the conversation that Abram has to have with the men in his household and Sarah? Hey, how you doing, Manny? Yeah, I've been talking to God. Yeah, I got good news. He's changed my name. I'm not Abram any longer. I'm Abraham. I am the father. You know, he, remember he told me about the father of a great nation? Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm happy too. I'm glad you're happy. Listen, um, there, there are some requirements. This is going to sound kind of strange. All the guys have got to get circumcised. No, no, you know that bit of skin? No, not there. <laughs> that other bit of skin. Yeah, there. Yeah, we got to cut it off. <laughs> yeah, God wants to bless me. Yeah, today. Can you get Sarah? Hey, Sarah, good news, just spoke to God. <laughs> You're going to love this. I know you're 90. <laughs> you're going to have a baby. Yes, I did hear him. Yes, he did say you. I don't know. I know you're old. 90, it's, you're pretty fit. It'll be okay. I mean, <laughs> our faith affects other people, right? I, I just can't imagine really what it was like for Abraham to go back there. I'm going to be blessed, guys. 
Guess what it means for you? <laughs> all right. What do we learn from Abraham? There's much more to the story. You all know about Abraham and, and Isaac, how God tells him to sacrifice him. That was another one of these faith steps. But let me just kind of bring this to a close. What do we learn from him? Number one, our faith or lack of faith affects others. It affects other people. It's not just about us. So when God calls you to do something, whether it makes sense or it doesn't make sense, people are watching to see what you're going to do. Number two, you've got to be willing to leave your comfort zone in order to follow God. He had to leave Ur of the Chaldeans. He had to go all the way to another country. If you want to live in faith, you've got to leave your comfort zone. What happens when you leave your comfort zone? You feel uncomfortable. Your faith journey is uncomfortable. Number three, God is a merciful God. He wants you to grow in faith. He kept coming back to Abram. He kept reaffirming to him his promise. Look, Abram, I got this. This is what I'm going to do. He kept reassuring him, even though Abram looked to fix the problem in another way. And it's years and years. I mean, I can't blame Abram. His late 60s, when God comes to him, 30-something years later, God fulfills the promise. It's like, really? And it didn't matter how many times Abram faltered, God still was faithful to Abram. It's exactly the same with us. Sometimes our faith gets shaky. We, we're waiting on God for something, and we try to find our own way, or we're hesitant. We don't step out in faith. God doesn't just say, well, I'm done with you. He wants your faith to grow. He's going to do things. He's going to keep bringing things into your life that will coax you to taking a step of faith. But at some time, you got to get out of your comfort zone and take that step. Number four, we need to do things God's way instead of our way. Sometimes it's not going to make sense. But if you know that it's from God, you do it. His way. Yahweh. Number five, we should never doubt God. Well, he said it. You read his promise at tithing. Not that this is about tithing. When, when, when we decided to tithe, we had to trust what God said. I'm going to step out in faith on this one. I'm going to be obedient to this one. It makes no sense. Why do I want to give God 10% of my money? I could do something with that 10%. There's a lot of things I could do with that 10%. But God said, when you live in faith, I will bless you. All right, God. I'm in. And it doesn't... You know, don't doubt God. It doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what politics says. It doesn't matter what social media says. It doesn't matter what those around you say. It doesn't have to make sense. If God said it, God said it. Okay, I believe it. I'm not doubting it. It's a closing comment. Faith is not easy. When we do wait, oh yeah. Chuck and I have been talking about this the last couple of days, my friend. Well, I say friend. <laughs> you know, there are times when God tells you to wait, and there are times when God tells you to go. You've heard me say it many, many times. You can't steer a parked car, right? 
God wants us to live in faith. You can't live in faith and sit still. And yet sometimes God tells us to wait. So this stuff is really, really tricky. And it's keeping in contact with God nonstop. And then there's putting aside those, those doubts. Sometimes we wait not because we're waiting on God, but we're worried that God's not going to come through. I'm not taking this step of faith. What if it's not God? It'd be much more convenient if it wasn't God. So I'm just going to hang back. I've got a, a scripture that I live my life by. I call it my life scripture. It's Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. I didn't learn this version, so I'm going to read it to you. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Great words of comfort. The way I learned it is if the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And this is what I get from this. If I'm faithful in the little things, if I determine to live my life in accordance with God's way, in faith, knowing that I'm weak, knowing that I'm going to stumble, God knows I'm weak, God knows that I'm going to stumble, but if He knows in my heart, my primary desire is to serve Him, He is going to delight in my way. And if He delights in my way, He makes my steps firm. He is the one who directs me. And this is what I love about it. Though they stumble, not if. Though they stumble, they will never fall. For the Lord holds them up by the hand. So here I am, Mike Bishop. I'm living my life. I'm stumbling along, going down the wrong road sometimes. But God knows my heart. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. But I love you, Lord, and I know you love me. And I want to live your way, but I'm kind of scared. Sometimes I wait too long. Sometimes I go too soon. He's all right. I got you. I got you. You cannot get out of my path because I love you. And when you do stumble, you're not going to fall. I'm going to catch you. And I got your handhold, and I will lead you. Isn't that a wonderful relationship? We were, yesterday, Chuck and I were talking about this stuff, and he showed me, and share his personal stuff now, he showed me a, a couple of his things that he prays through every day, and one really caught my eye. A friend of his said it, and he wrote it down. He says, I have more confidence in God's ability to direct me than my ability to hear him. I'm more confident in God in this relationship than I am in me in this relationship. Thank you, God. So what steps of faith have you been struggling with? What action step can you take this week to get you moving in the right direction? Because it's easy to hear messages like this and say, oh yeah, I need to have more faith. And then just put it on the shelf and go on out here. But I want to challenge you. What things have you been struggling with? What step can you take this week to begin this faith journey? You know, Abraham left 
Ur of the Chaldeans, all the way over to Canaan. He stepped out in faith, and he began the journey in faith. The big picture, you're going to be father of a great nation 20-something years later. But all the way, Abram has taken steps of faith while waiting on God. What relationships are being affected by your faith journey? What area of life do you need to allow the Lord to take control of? When I live in obedience and I act in faith, my life is better. That's just the truth. The Lord directs my steps and I have his blessing. And when I decide to go a different way, it don't go so well. Real simple. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks. You are a faithful God. And that really is what this is all about. You are a faithful God. And you have people who seek to be faithful, but Father, we're not very good at it. We get scared. We get worried. We try to do things our way. Sometimes we don't do anything at all when you call us to do something. Sometimes we do something stupid when you told us not to do it. But you love us and you care for us, and your desire is that we would be in a deeper, more faithful relationship with you. So, Father, these questions that I've put out there today, it applies to me too. Father, show us what steps we can take this week to draw closer to you, to live in faith. Show us those relationships, Father, that are being impacted by our faith or our lack of faith. And show us those areas of our lives that we hold on to that we need to just give to you. Father, bless us like you blessed Abraham so that we may be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Share the announcements. Well, thank God for Abraham. Can you imagine?